Hi, and welcome to the Legal Innovation Talks podcast, where we have discussions with legal thought leaders from around the world in order to uncover the future of the legal space. I'm your host, Stephen Pulver. On this week's podcast, we have a discussion about the business side of the evolving legal industry with our friend Heather Suddy. Heather is recognized as a thought leader in the legal industry, a columnist on global legal markets and industry trends for a number of international legal publications. I highly suggest checking out her blogs in the global legal services sector at heathersuddy.ca. It's a great resource. Highly suggest checking that out. We're excited about this conversation with Heather and we hope you enjoy. This week, we're so lucky to welcome Heather Suddy. Um, Heather, what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to pass this off to you uh, for you to give a quick background uh, of yourself and uh, the things that you're working on. And what we'll do there is, is, uh, is we'll kind of move on and we'll ask a few questions and, and hopefully have a few smiles as well. Absolutely. Um, and thank you very much for having me on. It's a real privilege to be with you, Stephen. And, uh, and thank you, Kitchener, for setting this up. Um, I have been working in the legal industry for the last 20 years. I run a legal marketing and business development consultancy. And at this point, I am the only person in the country who does what I do. So I am one of one, um, which at times is daunting and at times is also a great privilege. So um, it's, it's the flip sides of the same coin. My background is in business. Previous to legal, I was uh, working primarily in the broadcasting industry, which is a very um, high pressure uh, type of field uh, because everyone's either watching the television or listening to radio or whatever they're doing. So whatever you're working on is happening in real time and it's, it's very live and there are a lot of moving pieces and it's a it's a big industry, it's an expensive industry, and I worked there for 14 years. And during that time, I was able to do a couple of restructures of some major divisions. And that all involved uh, money, it involved people, it involved finding um, areas where um, what we were doing was highly different um, and, and stood out because that's the only way you're going to make an impression in the market, regardless of what you do. And those experiences, which both thankfully turned out well, and both divisions are still solvent. Um, <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful experience. It was the hardest probably I've ever worked um, in, in, in my life. But it also, it taught me a lot about working with people. It taught me a lot about being different. And when I came into law, that was one of the things that I noticed um, first off, and that was 20 years ago, and that was after coming out of Ernst & Young, where I was privileged to work with Donahue and Partners, which was at that time uh, Canada's only multidisciplinary practice within one of the big four accounting firms, and it still is. So uh, when I moved into the consulting area, um, what I was working on and still continue to work on is helping law firms and legal companies and even individual lawyers um, find what it is that they are the very best at. And it's not a touchy-feely thing in any way, shape, or form. It's all about money. It's about what they are going to do in the market that fits them to a T, that makes them different, that makes them one of one, and at which they can make a very good living. And it all 
very well for the last 20 years. Um, so far, so good. So first off, that's a, that's an amazing overview. So so thank you. I wanna I wanna touch on one point that you said right at the beginning, that you are the only one that's that's doing the type of work you're doing, and and across across the country. And we'll we'll touch on your article, which you've you've kept us busy because you just released it. I think yesterday your your most recent article, and mm -hmm. uh, we we've read it, and I I I loved it. I thought it was spectacular. How is it possible now in 2020? that um, you're the only one that's really doing what you're doing. Is that surprising to you? Um, it, it's surprising on one hand and not on the other. Um, I mean, no one's more surprised than me that I have wound up in this area. If you had told me, you know, 30 years ago that I'd be doing what I'm doing, I'd have told you you were crazy. Um, on the other hand, um, when I left Ernst & Young, uh, and that was 20 years ago, I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? Um, I wasn't entirely sure. And I'll tell you that what I did was I took a piece of eight and a half by 11 paper and I drew it into grids and I drew it so that there were four boxes. And in one of the boxes, it said the things I love. The other box said things I like. The third box said things I will tolerate. And the fourth box said things I'll never do again. And I took my entire work experience and my personality traits and my temperaments and I just threw it on that page willy-nilly. There was no science to it. But once I was done this regurgitation, and I only took five minutes, I tore off the bottom of the page of things I would tolerate and never do again. And I was left with the things I like and the things I love. And I thought, what does this look like? And I thought, you know, I really enjoyed working with the lawyers. I enjoyed... Um, I enjoyed their temperaments. I enjoyed that they're bright. Uh, I enjoyed that they have opinions and they're not afraid to express them. Uh, I enjoy that they like to engage in debate. Uh, it makes me think better. And I thought maybe there's something there. And I started to work on that. And I started to model what that could possibly be. And I um, was in touch with 23 firms to ask them their impressions because you want to test the market. What is, does this, is this going to mean something? Is this going to have value? And out of those 23 firms that I contacted, 19 asked for a meeting. So I hit an artery. I wasn't quite sure, you know, what that meant, but it enabled me to have a conversation and at very different levels. Uh, some of the folks I contacted knew what I was talking about, some didn't. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to start the conversation at different levels and learn what people needed and, uh, and and to get their impressions. And frankly, it turned out that one of those, those people I talked to 20 odd years ago remains a client today. So it, it, it's because you test the market and you find out what works. And I think the reason that I've lasted long as I have is because I've got a good sense of humor and a good sense of the ridiculous. And I think you probably need to have a bit of both. So, so, so 100%. So paint me a picture of, uh, as, as we now kind of shift focus and, and talk about the shifting legal landscape today, paint mm -hmm. the picture of what it was 20 years ago and um, not to put you on the spot of, of where you're seeing things have, have not changed at all in your, in your line of work and where things have absolutely changed. And I think then, then I'm really interesting to, to dig down to the present, but I'd love to hear kind of how that journey's journey's gone through, through, 
changing landscapes over over many years? Well, I, I can tell you that when when I did come out of uh, Ernst and Young, and it is a big four, and the big four um, are all quite similar in in their structure. They have an enormous infrastructure. They've got more money than you can ever imagine, and they've got a person for every type of role. And so, having come out of that experience that is so rich and so deep, and you go into law, um, I was thunderstruck at how back in the past legal was at that time, um, very much in the past, um, the, the, the big four. And, and I, know, I don't mean to go on about them, but they are a threat. They're a definite threat. And that's something that we can talk about future-wise. But well, well, I think that's actually important to, t- to take a quick pause because I, I think that there mm-hmm. probably are listeners that are actually uh, maybe unaware or not as knowledgeable in, in, in the space when, when it comes specifically to the big four. Tell me where you see the big four playing um, today and, and, and into the future. How is that? You know, I know that answer as, as someone who's playing in the space, but I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to, to understand. Right. Well, the challenge of the big four, and I know that, um, or at least my sense from, from having spoken to many lawyers is they, they really don't want to hear about the big four, but they better hear about the big four because they're out there and they're not going away. Um, they are very persistent. They're quietly persistent. Um, they move in lockstep and they're deliberate and they've got the money to roll you right over. And they will in some respects. They've got enormous strengths in terms of their traditional areas of practice, which have been tax and um, immigration, particularly business immigration. All of those firms move their people all over the world. So they have needed their own internal um, talents for that, which they have taken to the market. So they also, because they have that financial language as their base, they have the ear of many corporate CFOs. So they're already speaking the language of business because their first language is money. And they understand being a business advisor. Lawyers have a tendency to look at problems from a legal perspective more than a business perspective, whereas the accountants are looking at things in terms of uh, business and how it relates to your tax. So they are different perspectives, but because there is the ear of the CFO, that's a big deal. Many GCs report into a CFO, and frankly, in any company, it's the money that talks. So that's the reason that that Big Four as, as, as you know, and as I've experienced, um, are a threat in, in terms of, of the legal market, particularly in terms of big law. First off, it wouldn't be a, a perfect home interview in COVID times without a dog barking in the background. So I, <laughs> I apologize. But uh, yes, I, if we've learned anything through these times, it's that whether it's a dog barking, a baby whining, uh, it's all just part of the ambiance of a, of a uh, recording slash uh, meeting. But absolutely. And, and we see that as well. Um, I think to hear from your perspective is really interesting. Um, you know, f- from our perspective, being on the vendor side, we certainly see 
um, the push from the big four and, and, and other large companies that are that are getting into these spaces. Um, I, I, I have to turn now, I think it, it's certainly worth it and very topical to your article from yesterday. I think it was yesterday, it was posted yesterday at least. Um, I really thought it was fantastic and I'd love to, to kind of provide just a, a high level of, of even just the first paragraph here and, and just get some of your comments because I think it was very poignant, very strong. Uh, and I'm going to read just a few words here for our audience because I, I think it's really important. So you say, for many professionals in the legal market, the beginning of the end starts now. For some, it will be their own damn fault. For others, it won't and they'll suffer collateral damage. Then you move on to say smart law firms took steps to change how they face the market and do business. Other cho others chose to ignore the signals. Now the difference between the two will be made clear. And as you quote Warren Buffett, and this is a spectacular quote, uh, one I've not heard before, but I think it's, it's just great. As Warren Buffett said, it's only when the tide goes out that you'll learn who's been swimming naked. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about, about that. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. Well, I, it was an appropriate quote, and thank you very much for reading, for reading that piece. Um, the reaction to that piece was that I certainly didn't pull any punches, and no, I didn't, and I don't. Um, if, if there's one thing I'm known for, it's honesty. Um, I, tr I try to be uh, careful uh, with some of my comments, but there are times you just have to come out and say it. And um, to be candid, in my experience working within this industry for as long as I have, I've seen many firms that are um, successful by accident. It certainly isn't by design. Um, it's because they've been charging enormous fees and they've had huge um, talent pools and, and things have been very good. I mean, except for, uh, you know, uh, 2008, 2009, when there was the financial crisis. But um, a number of firms have been very fortunate in uh, being as successful as they have. But at some point, a reckoning comes. And I certainly don't have a crystal ball. And who could have ever predicted that we would be in a pandemic situation like we have been in for the last four months. But I think that there is going to be um, a change in the market. I am, I'm expecting and suspecting that we are going to see huge changes by the uh, last quarter of this year. Um, I think we're going to see um, more clients who are unable to pay their bills. Firms are already experiencing problems with collections now. And that is because, uh, well, it's because of a number of factors, but one being is that they don't bill regularly. They're not billing at the end of each month. Well, frankly, I don't understand that. That's basic billing. I bill at the end of each month. Um, most businesses bill at the end of the, e of the month, so why don't they? Um, to keep the cash flow moving, and, and that's why I'm a little concerned that we're going to see um, some changes in the market and they won't all be positive at the end of the year. What are some of the excuses that you hear specifically around the billing? I, I say the word excuses because I, you know, we're honest yeah. and transparent with our words. Right. Like 
I, yeah. frankly, they are excuses. What are the reasons and excuses that you hear from law firms why they're not billing on a regular basis so that a client doesn't end up with a bill six months after the work's been completed? Well, because frankly, they're, they're a little concerned that the client is going to see the bill and balk at that point. Um, I mean, lawyers are expensive. There's no two ways about that. Um, but to not be upfront and say, look, we're not running a, um, a not-for-profit here. This is a for-profit business. But to be able to explain the bills, to be comfortable speaking about money, to talk about scope, to talk about scope creep, um, those sorts of things are not really something that many lawyers are comfortable with. And so to have a conversation about money is really daunting. And so it, sometimes it's easier not to do something than to do something. So therefore the bill doesn't go out and then six months later the client gets a bill and you know, they're in sticker shock. Right. Uh, an, another part of this kind of uh, of your article was talking about restructuring, restructuring and retooling uh, both the services that firms are provided, but all providing, but also their direction and, and the way in which they're uh, positioning themselves, all of those kinds of things. Uh, you know, one of those for, for, for us and, and for me that we hold near and dear is, you know, everything from the IT department all the way through to other decisions that are being made internally. Are you noticing any obvious blunders across across some of the firms either you're working with or things you're seeing in the industry that you're finding yourself shaking your head at and saying, what are you, I, I understand the billing might be one of them, but what are other ones that you're seeing in the market that you just are continually shaking your head at and saying, what are you thinking? What What is the mindset? You know, I'm, I'm interested in that. Well, what, one, one thing that I just, um, that that I, I don't know if it's amazing or appalling, it's probably a bit of both, um, is, is the idea of keeping on practices that are no longer serving the market um, or no longer serving the firm and carrying people and practices just because you always have. And I have talked to um, firms about this and, and the response is, well, yeah, um, but you know they've they've been there for for years and years, and uh, we know their we know their families, we know their people, and it's it's not how business works. I mean, it really isn't. It's 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 fine to have that um, that that group comfort, but if you if you're dragging an anchor and you're dragging a financial anchor, and you're what I call a real business, you're going to cleave that off, and you're and going that's. To and you're start, going to start to trim down to fighting weight, which is something that I talk about all the time, being lean and sharp. And it also helps you differentiate in the market. And this is something you, you, you speak about in your article. I mean, you specifically say, I think this is a great point. You know, some will continue, to, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting, some will, uh, some will continue to drag their historical legacy like a ship drags an anchor and the results will net out. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are strong words and words that I think the, you know, I can only speak for myself, but those are words that I think the industry needs to hear. Right. Have, are there others that are uh, as candid as you? Are you, are you finding that there's pushback when you make comments like that? It's a breath of fresh air to see this. Um, 
when I read your article, I immediately said, wow, like these are, these are, this is classic Heather. This is, this is the article I want to read. Um, are you seeing counterparts being as transparent and open as you in, in, in the way you're approaching these things and, and teaching law firms? Um, I have, um, I, I have a, uh, I would say a, a well-defined personality. Um, and, and I do, and I do, I do express my opinions, but I'm also talking to people who are not very shy about expressing their opinions. So, uh, when you have that, um, experience and frankly, I'm not going to go sounding off unless I'm pretty darn sure about what I'm talking about. And I am pretty darn sure about what I'm talking about because I've got, you know, the mileage to prove it. But when I, when I express these opinions, they are opinions and they are opinions based on experience. Someone else may feel entirely different and that is their privilege and that is their right. And I'm not going to dispute that. If they want to carry historical baggage till the cows come home, then let them. It's going to met out. And that's what I'm talking about. That if you, if you don't change, if you don't do something, then nothing will happen. Let's, let's tease that out a little bit. Let's tease out this idea of historical baggage. Um, what, what, what do you mean by historical baggage? I have my own ideas of, of, of what that is, of course, but I'm, I'm interested to, to, to hear from you. Well, like I was saying um, about maybe practices that no longer serve or right. um, groups that no longer are integral to the core part of the business. I have a tendency when I help firms to position in their markets, I look at what is integral and what is core to their business. Other things that are ancillary are kind of bolt-ons and they are lawyers who've been invited into the firm because they needed a place to land and they could bring allegedly a book of business. Sometimes that happens, often it doesn't. And that's how you add on fat and you add on areas that are not integral to the business. So getting down to your core, getting down to your fighting weight, that's what makes you different. That's what helps you position. Those are the things that help you be appealing to industry because industry doesn't care about your practice. They care about their industry and they want to talk to people who understand their language and their business. We hear this from clients all the time. Uh, but getting that message through um, when I'm successful, then you see a firm really dig in and really get some traction and really take off. And after a couple of years of this, they think, well, we've, it's always been this way. Hang on. There's a siren going by. I hear the siren. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's as... It's as, it's as authentic as a dog in the background. So it's, it's great. Absolutely it is. So that, there you go. That's both of us. We're the, the listeners that think we're uh, in a, in a sequestered room with um, padded walls and, and perfect acoustics are, are going to be uh, sorely mistaken. So um, this is the real deal. They're, they're getting this a is real, real life. They're, they're real getting, life. I, I, I think that that's great. I, I'm, I'm interested here in our kind of final moments of uh, just unpacking specifically this article and, uh, you know, and, and your perspectives on things. I'd love to hear a little bit more about 
what advice you would have for law firms, legal practitioners, specifically those that are at the top, at the management level, what are Heather's words of wisdom for navigating these changes? I understand this is a loaded question, but to the extent that you have some wisdom to provide uh, to those that are at the management level of, of, of a firm, um, what, what, what would some words be? Well, I think that in the year to come, for the remainder of this year and into next year, I think people are going to have to take a really, um, very, a really close look at their business and they're going to have to look at it with very clear vision and they're going to have to look at it with a sharp knife. Um, because I think that they're going to need to look at their uh, industries, they're going to need to look at their practices and say, what is going to serve the common good of this firm for the next five years? Um, and I think they're going to have to uh, decide and make some really hard decisions and have some very difficult conversations about how the firm is going to operate, how it's going to look, how it's going to function, and to whom it is going to uh, address its services for the next five years. And I think if they are absolutely truthful, their firm is going to be quite a bit different um, than it is right now. And I think that's going to mean that rather than saying, well, we do A and B and C and D, and we also do E, F, G, H, et cetera, to, you know, uh, to appease egos and, and other personalities that are part of the firm, they're going to have to do, say, you know what? We do A, B, C, and D. That's it. And that's also going to help them when they come to respond to pitches. It sounds then that uh, part of that recommendation, or at least the comment, goes full circle to your comment previously about taking a piece of paper, taking five minutes, drawing two lines, one vertical, one horizontal, and as a firm, as a management team saying, what do we love? What are we naturally good at, especially in this economy? What are things that we're okay at? What are things that we, what, what's the fat that we can trim? And a simple exercise on the back of a napkin or a piece of paper can start that process in ways that spreadsheets and uh, documents and reports might get you somewhere there, but it's sounding like from what you're saying, refocusing priorities from a super high level is part of that, is part of that process. Doing the same exercise that you said you did all those years ago um, as you started your journey uh, in this space. Well, you know, um, I know that that is a very simplistic way to do it, but sometimes simple is what you need. And, and to look, look at that one piece of paper, it was as clear as glass about what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were. Um, not all of us are, are good at everything. I don't know anyone who is. So if you play to your strengths, and that is something that I'm always on about, uh, because each of us has wonderful strengths. Each of us is unique as an individual. Each firm is unique. Um, they need to not be as fungible as peanut butter because frankly, <laughs> being fungible as peanut butter does not do you any good. Um, being the same as the guy next door is not going to save you. So um, 
Keeping it simple is important. Back it up with fact. Look into your database. Decide who the clients are who are keeping the lights on. Keep those people, understand their industry, keep it narrow, go deep, be different. Spectacular. Heather, how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? I know that we'll have some links in our show notes. Sure. Um, I'm at Heather at heathersutty.ca. Um, I am reachable in Toronto at 416-964-9607. Um, pretty much all you have to do is Google legal marketing, uh, Canada and poof, there I will be. I love that. And I, I, I especially love the phone number give out. That's a, that's a first for us. So, uh, um, hopefully you don't get too much. I, talk to people. <laughs> I, I like, I like that. Uh, Heather, thank you so, so much for joining us, uh, on this episode of legal innovation talks. I know that we'll do this again. Uh, I know that, uh, this is just a first foray into, uh, some wonderful conversations to be had in the future. Uh, it's always so incredible to, to chat with you, uh, your, your words, your guidance, uh, they are very meaningful to, to certainly us, uh, and, and to the community. So, so thank you to our guest. Uh, Heather Suddy, and let's certainly do it again. I would love to, Stephen. It's a privilege to join you. It's always a pleasure to be in your good company. Likewise. So that's it for this episode of Legal Innovation Talks. Uh, we will be back next week with a new episode. Uh, we'll speak to you all soon.